Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the FBI targets parents. Sam Faddis, former CIA operations officer, joins us to talk about Afghanistan, China, and more. And free, free trillion dollar spending bills. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday on the show, I told you about a letter that was written by the president of the National School Board Association, a letter this person wrote directly to President Biden. The gist of her letter was she's asking for federal help, says she, to protect school boards around the country who are being confronted by parents who have parents showing up at school board meetings and actually challenging things, you know, like critical race theory and COVID policy. It was a very lengthy, eloquent letter, and I want, I want you to read it so you know what she actually said. So it is linked on our website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop-down list of links. You can read what this letter says, because I will tell you one tip-off that should let you know how profoundly dishonest this entire letter is, is that in this letter, as her argument to the president, not just that the president, you know, say a few words, but that he actually unleash the FBI against parents across the country who are participating in school board meetings, she actually says in the letter, this author of the letter says, you know, in this whole business about CRT and parents complaining about critical race theory, she actually says in this letter, here are her words, coupled with attacks, blah, 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 blah. This, and she talks about uh, school public officials are facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. So she's saying, there's nothing to see here, no critical race theory being taught in America's public schools. She goes on to say, this propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools and remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of a K-12 class. This, my friends, is at the very, very best profoundly deceptive and manipulative. It's simply a lie. As we've talked about in the show many times, critical race theory has ideological roots. We've run through those in the past at experts explaining this flows from Marxist thought from decades ago. Critical race theory is not a new thing that sprang onto America's scene. All that's really happened in recent years is that conservatives have become aware of what critical race theory teaches and how it has slithered like a snake its way into the public school system. So she's trying to say one reason, President Biden, you got to unleash the FBI and parents is because they had these crazy ideas. We're talking about critical race theory and we're not. And we all know that is false. And this is what is so, to me, it's one of those tells. She doesn't have a leg to stand on. She understands the public schools are exactly doing what the parents don't want. They are teaching critical race theory. Now, the teacher does not get up in front of the K-12 class and write in big letters on the blackboard or the whiteboard, critical race theory. She doesn't do that. 
Okay, fine, probably that doesn't happen, maybe in some senior high school classes, but mostly it doesn't. But the concept of it is, has slithered its way, not just into history courses and social science courses and American history courses, but as we've documented before, in numerous other subject matters being taught in the public schools. It is everywhere in the public schools. And that's what these parents are protesting. They're saying, I don't want my kids being taught this stuff. I don't like it. And one of the best summaries, best summaries of it all, because although I was happy to in previous shows go into great detail about the ideological roots and underpinnings and the leaders and the statements they make and the actual bullet-pointed uh, listing by alleged critical race theory advocates of what's in critical race theory, the best summary of all was probably done by Florida Governor DeSantis, in which he said, here in the state of Florida, we are not going to teach our children to hate each other based on the color of their skin, and we're not going to teach our children in Florida to hate America, which pretty much summarizes what critical race theory does. It inspires students, individuals, everyone who uh, studies it and follows it to identify every other living human being they interact with by their skin color, and it describes evil to white Americans, and in fact says not only evil to white Americans, but no matter how good a life you've led, no matter how many good things you've done, you are incurably racist because you happen to have been born with white skin. And black Americans are incurably, uh, indelibly victimized members of society who no matter what great things you do, how much you accomplish, you can never get out of your victimized status, and the, your victim status. And the entire point is, of course, to attack America itself to cause people to hate the very founding ideas of America that we tout on this show all the time, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, the whole concept of America as the most extraordinary gift, the extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. But instead, the critical race theory people, their mindset links in more with the 1619 Project, which came out of the New York Times, which I have many times said it is simply should be shorthand titled we hate America and you should too. That's what the 1619 Project is all about. So back to where we are today. So this uh, school board president, this National Association School Board, sends a letter to Biden saying, you know, this is just horrible. We're being threatened. Now, she, she does cite some examples. Yeah, there are some parents pretty upset about it. And she cites sometimes people had to be arrested for trespass. Okay, we have local police for that. If you actually uh, are not in a place you're not allowed to be, if you're physically uh, threatening, if you do things that are out of line at school board meetings, we have local authorities, we have school officials to do that. She is trying and she succeeded in bringing the federal government's power against parents who want to speak up and is about COVID policy also, whether kids should be forced vaccinations and passports and masks, but much of it is targeted at the critical race theory discussion. So she's raised this level to the national, raised this issue to the national level, now has the DOJ instructing the FBI a letter to the FBI telling them to get on top of this, get organized, go to all 50 states, figure out through all the local agencies uh, that you can find, local law enforcement, uh, you know, prosecutors, whoever is going to be gathered together to review the conduct of parents at school board meetings. People, 
This is simply intimidation. The point is to silence parents. The point is to tell parents around this country, you don't have any say in how we indoctrinate your children. We've decided they're going to believe what we tell them to believe about critical race theory, 1619 Project, America itself, and you don't have a say, and you need to stop being so troublesome in arguing that you might actually have a say in what your children are taught. The critical race theory has made its way into so much of popular culture, not just in public schools, but in other places, and certainly in colleges and universities, that for some people, maybe it's just kind of business as usual. Oh, yeah, we understand America's evil, America's bad, America founded by, you know, white old men who believed in slavery. The entire concept of critical race theory has truly penetrated the public schools. Fortunately, for those of us who love America, love the Constitution, love freedom, love the idea of America, it came to the attention of parents and they're going to speak up. But I ask you to think about this. If the FBI actually does this, and they're apparently going to do it, and you actually have a parent arrested for, I don't know, showing up at a school board meeting and arguing for a second or third time, I discovered critical race theory in my child's homework. Here was a question in their English homework. Here was a question in their history homework. Here's a math problem that they, that they gave that has critical race theory in it. Those kind of parents, you get one person arrested or one person threatened or one person who loses their job because the FBI launches an investigation to those parents. And what you will do, obviously, is silence all criticism. You will silence parents because nobody wants to be the subject of an FBI investigation. Nobody wants to be someone who may get targeted. So this little ploy put on by the president of the National School Board Association is going to have ripple effects around the country. My hope and actual expectation is that more Americans will see this as outrageous as uncalled for, as, as just wildly unjust, and they will continue, in fact, perhaps ramp up their objections to the teaching of critical race theory, which is, in, as in the famous words of Governor DeSantis, what they're really just doing is teaching children to hate each other based on the color of their skin. And it is intentionally divisive of American culture and society mission. That's what critical race theory is. But for those of you who think that actually parents should not have a role in what the public schools teach your kids, you might actually enjoy this next candidate. We have a very short clip. I think it's clip three for Derek, the new wonderful producer uh, of this show, because Matt left. So we have uh, Derek has a clip. This is from the gubernatorial debate in Virginia. This is a statement by an actual the Democrat candidate to be governor of Virginia. Veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decisions. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. But, you know, not I get really tired. I don't think parents should be telling schools what, they're, what they're, to teach their kids. Let me just say something. Schools are funded by tax dollars paid by the parents. So even if your kids don't go to public school, the taxpayers are still funding this. So it's taxpayer funded forced indoctrination of your children into anti-Americanism. And this goofball running for governor in Virginia is saying, you know what, who these parents think they are? They don't get to have a say. So that was, I always forget his name, it's Terry McCullough. He's a Democrat gubernatorial candidate in Virginia running against Republican candidate got Glenn Youngkin. I think the election is just next month. So coming right up, this is our last debate. Uh, one last closing thing in this first five on this, on this topic. The state of Oklahoma, you know, just north of us in the great state of Texas, 
they, the state, the state legislature, got wind of what this National School Board Association president said, which that she, this woman who's the president of the entire National Umbrella Organization for School Boards, wrote to Biden, which is uh, that caused the unleashing of the FBI on parents in Oklahoma. The legislature got a hold of that, and they actually sent a letter to the state, Oklahoma State School Board Association, demanding that that organization, the Oklahoma State Board of School Board Association, reject and rebuke what was said on their behalf to the president by the National Association. So you know there's a fighting spirit in Oklahoma, you gotta love them. Um, I just, I'll close out the first five by saying this. There are many, many things that are not going well in the Biden administration. Many, many, we're gonna re recap some of them in the third uh, little segment today. But the idea that the, the taxpayer-funded Department of Justice has actually publicly acknowledged that they are going to unleash the FBI to scold parents about what they say at school board meetings, even for your average Joe Democrat who, or your, someone who voted for Biden because they really didn't like Trump's tweets, this is beginning to get far too scary, far too alarming, far too Marxist, far too from the federal level will tell you parents what you can say and when you're going to shut up and you better do it. This is not going to bode well for the Biden administration or for the FBI. And I truly commend each and every parent still speaking up at the school boards and we need to keep it up. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have Sam Faddis joining us. He's joined us once or twice in the past. Um, he is a senior partner at Artemis LLC. But the reason he's joining us today, he's a former CIA operations officer. He has 30 years experience in the conduct of intelligence operations in the Middle East, South Asia, and Europe. His last assignment prior to retirement in May of 2008 was as head of CIA's terrorist weapons of mass destruction unit. He took the first CIA team into Iraq in the summer of 2002 in advance of the invasion of that country. He's worked extensively in the field with law enforcement, local security forces, and special operations teams. He also is the co-founder of an online uh, magazine, online publication called AND, A-N-D, andmagazine.com. And I'm telling you, it's a great, it's a treasure trove of great articles, many of which he writes. And we're going to talk about those today with him, particularly his articles and comments about Afghanistan, America's withdrawal, the connection between the Biden uh, administration, the country of China, how that ties into Afghanistan. This is really important stuff to understand. So we're going to welcome to the show, Sam Faddis. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hi, Sam. Good to see you, sir. Glad you could join us. And you just have some great articles up. And, you know, I want to start with, I have, of course, on the show covered the irresponsible way in which America withdrew from Afghanistan. We left you know, our own people on the ground. We seemingly caused this, uh, avail this uh, possibility for the suicide bomber who killed 13 Americans. Um, we left many, many people there. Part of what you wrote in something, I think it was actually a few weeks ago, but you talked about how what's happening on the ground inside Afghanistan with the various contending forces now that America's out and the Taliban is trying to take full control of the whole country. And you have sources, it sounds like, on the ground in Afghanistan. Can you just describe the immediate impact on the ground in Afghanistan uh, for the various competing forces with America's abrupt departure? 
Well, you know, I think the media these days does a, a number of, of incredibly destructive things. They lie, they spin, they misrepresent things. Maybe the worst thing they do is they just throw the old Maxwell smart cone of silence over stories and sort of pretend like things didn't happen or are not happening. And I think that's basically the play when it comes to Afghanistan, right? It was horrible and painful, but basically it's all over, nothing to see here. Let's move on. It's all in the rearview mirror. That, you know, of course, is not true. Uh, obviously, was never going to be true. And this thing is a disaster, continues to be a disaster, and we're paying a massive price. The Taliban is in control of Afghanistan. Uh, they are a terrorist organization, whether officially designated as such or not. Many of their key members are individually on the terrorist list, and we literally have bounties of millions of dollars on their heads. They are in the process of turning the place into, you know, a sixth century paradise and welcoming back every terrorist group on the planet. Basically, they are armed to the teeth now, thanks to us. We've created a terrorist super state. We have also destabilized things geopolitically in a host of other ways. Let's just start with China. The Chinese are already in, on the ground, in strength in Afghanistan and lashed up with the Taliban. They are on the ground at Bagram Air Base, which was the largest US base in Afghanistan, now in possession of a base with runways, which can handle the largest military aircraft on the planet, hundreds of bunkers, communications facilities, control towers, something we spent ungodly sums of money constructing now turned over to the communist Chinese has dramatically enhanced their capacity to uh, basically uh, project power from that facility for hundreds, if not thousands of miles uh, in all directions. We have handed over to the Chinese, by the way, the lithium deposits in Afghanistan, which maybe seems like, you know, kind of a bizarre uh, exotic subject to get into. But here's the deal. We have a president and yes, that was that that was a deliberate reference to Joe's use of the term. Here's the deal. Um, yeah, we're killing the fossil fuel industry. We've shut down pipelines. We've put in huge, vast areas of the United States out of bounds to exploration by by oil and gas companies. We've driven the price of energy up. And Joe has announced that at some point in the relatively near future, 50 percent of the automobiles in the United States have to be electric. Well, that means they have to use lithium ion batteries given those restrictions of current technology. We basically produce no lithium. Lithium deposits in the world now are any, any of them a commercial size are in South America. They're all already controlled by the communist Chinese. It's believed the largest lithium deposits on earth sit in Afghanistan and they just got handed over to the Chinese. So people are used to thinking of ever since OPEC's oil embargo back in the 70s, they understand generally the concept that, look, if we have a foreign power in control of oil and our economy runs on oil, that's a really bad thing. And it's not just an economic thing. It's a national security thing. It means we can effectively be toppled anytime. Our economy can be brought to a halt by cutting off the flow of oil, right? That's why there was always this push to be, you know, energy independent. Well, so we're now deliberately creating a situation where we, we will be dependent on a substance 
we do not produce and which the communist Chinese will effectively have a monopoly over. So you can figure out for yourself what that means. That means we'll end up as hostage to the communist Chinese. So, you know, I, I could go on with this, this litany of woe, but the bottom line is Afghanistan is a catastrophe, not just a bump in the road. It is a, a major event. It is an ongoing event and it is literally changing the balance of power on the planet. That's how bad this is. Well, you covered a bunch of things I had on my list. I want to loop back to some of them just for a moment on the ground in Afghanistan. I thought I was reading, and maybe it was some other, another article, not one of yours, but Taliban is just a terror organization. They're a jihadist organization. That's what they are. They're, their conduct and uh, values, beliefs, everything they push flows from uh, Islam. And, so, and they, they are just jihadists by nature. They are very, it's a very violent um, organization. Because of America's abrupt departure, we did end up having people on the ground in Afghanistan who may have been helping us or at least were some form of resistance against the Taliban, who then were really left at the mercy of the Taliban and ended up being most unfortunately rounded up, beheaded, shot, killed, whatever it has happened to them. I mean, do, so we had, so that is accurate, correct? That, that our departure caused that to accelerate? Without question. Absolutely. Yeah. That is true. That is true. We, we, we abandoned all kinds of people. We abandoned American citizens. And Joe's representations of the numbers of American citizens we cut loose are just fabrications. The reality is he doesn't have any idea how many people he abandoned there, and he's making no effort to get them out. In fact, I can tell you as a matter of fact, there are former Special Forces guys who were involved in the efforts that many people have heard of to try to get folks out of Afghanistan as everything was imploding. Their thanks has been that they had been visited by the FBI on their return. The FBI yep. demanding to know where they were, who they met with, what they were up to, you know, with this sort of intimidation factor of knock it off, get out of this, you're making us look bad. Uh, the play here is you're supposed to forget that any of these people were cut away and anything you're doing to highlighting that is to the detriment of this administration and we want you to stop. Do you think that America serves America's interests or international interests or UN's interests to recognize the Taliban as the official government or does that just embolden them more? No, the Taliban is a terrorist organization. They are filled with terrorists. Nothing, the only thing that has changed with the Taliban is that they are now much stronger much more emboldened. They now can represent the the fire of jihadism never went out in the world. We just poured jet fuel on that fire and handed over tens of millions of dollars of advanced military equipment to these guys who are in bed with the communist Chinese or also in bed with the Iranians. Uh, they're, for instance, handing over our military equipment to the Iranians and the Chinese now so that they can reverse engineer the stuff that they captured. So we're not just dealing with the stuff they captured, we're gonna deal with all the copies they make of okay, everything so just captured using our technology. So the you know this is a hostile terrorist super state. The idea that we should pretend otherwise is, is crazy. I mean, honestly, 
one of the questions I have been asking now for days ever since the Chinese landed at Bagram Air Base is why does Bagram Air Base even still exist? I mean, okay, you miscalculated, you left, the Afghan government fell, the Taliban seized the base. The Taliban has no air force, in effect. They have no air defense facilities, really, which means you can, with impunity, bomb, hit with missiles, hit with drones, anything you can see on the ground in Afghanistan. So if there are parking lots filled with armored vehicles we left, why are those armored vehicles still intact? Why are the runways at Bagram Air Base still intact to be used by the Chinese? We can change that equation literally with impunity without risking a single American life anytime we want. So as I think Lara Logan has pointed out on many occasions, we're making an affirmative decision, therefore, to allow this to happen. We're allowing this terrorist superstate to do all of these things. We, we could stop them any moment we want, and we're not. So in any event, back to your original question, recognizing these guys, oh my God, no. In fact, yeah, you are gonna have to deal with them. I mean, whether that means going back into Afghanistan or fighting them elsewhere, they are not sitting in Kabul peaceful and happy now that they've recreated this psycho sixth century you know, bizarro universe there. Their ambition is to, this ends for them when that, when you can say that for the entire planet. Their vision of jihad, which by the way, does not apply to all Muslims, and I'm not saying that. Their vision of jihad is world domination and the imposition of a caliphate on everybody on the planet. That's when the game ends as far as they're concerned. Which is kind of a dangerous combination because you're exactly right. Their vision of the the their world, their view, their goal for the world uh, is is a jihad to conquer the world, Islamic uh, caliphate to conquer the world. Which is interesting because so they're saying all this and doing all this and thinking this way. Well, they're in Afghanistan and they have really locked arms with China and China, as we've talked about in the show many times, had Gordon Chang to join us. China also has very uh, undeniable international remote intentions. Uh, I mean, expansive hegemonic intentions to control the world. They want to be the world single power, super um, single superpower. So you have those two uh, entities on the ground in Afghanistan. Uh, both viewing themselves not merely as having acquired some additional power, but as a stepping stone toward uh, what they would like to do. I want to focus though, on China for a while and on President Biden. You know, during the campaign, there was quite a bit of discussion about whether or not Hunter Biden's activities uh, were problematic with respect to President Biden, uh, to be uh, the uh, candidate Biden, whether or not there was some uh, weakness compromise there uh, that would make uh, President Biden unable to deal with China as the enemy they really are, at least that's what Gordon Chang calls the enemy they really are, uh, that because of Hunter Biden's conduct, because of money that's transferred from China to the Biden family, they would be unable Biden would be unable as president to treat China in the way he should, which which would mean having America's best interests at heart. So can you talk about that just a little bit? What the um, what the um, goal of the uh, what the what, how you sense Biden's uh, concessions to China what, uh, in Afghanistan and, and kind of what the history was? Why would Biden have enabled China to move in so quickly? Right. Well, so. Let me say say up front that um, one of the key things here to understand is the contents of Hunter Biden's hard drive of his laptop. 
Okay, I have a copy of Hunter Biden's hard drive from his laptop, which I have reviewed as distasteful as much as it is uh, with the goal of trying to understand what the Biden family has been up to for a long time. So I'll give you my assessment, my opinion based on that and based on all of the other information I have read, okay? Hunter Biden was, maybe still is, the bag man for a family enterprise, a Biden family enterprise, which sells exactly one thing, and that's access to Joe Biden. Hunter Biden is has a coke problem. Hunter Biden has God knows how many other issues. Uh, he's never really achieved anything on his own in his life. He doesn't really have any skills. He was thrown out of the Navy for drug use, etc. Hunter has one thing as he runs around the world to sell, and that is access to dad as a U.S. Senator and then as Vice President and now as President of the United States. And this family enterprise has vacuumed up literally billions of dollars all over the planet. Ukraine, Russia, but nobody has given them more money than the communist Chinese. Literally billions of dollars. Just ungodly sums of money in a whole long tangle of, of dealings. But the bottom line is nothing is ever really produced. We're not building factories here. We're not selling goods. We're, we're nothing, the only thing that's happening really, if you look at this on a macro level is money is changing hands and people are getting access to Joe Biden. Again, my assessment. So this is the guy, uh, when, when this whole story broke prior to the election, it, in a normal circumstance, it would have vaporized Joe Biden's campaign. His campaign would have just gone up in flames. You can't possibly put a guy in the White House who is this corrupt and is so compromised by, amongst other people, our number one enemy on the planet. The media did its job in burying the story. Most Americans either went to the polls and never heard about it or assumed it was a ridiculous fairy tale. It is not a fairy tale. It is not a joke. It is not a Russian plant. It is as concrete and factual as you could possibly get. So we put a guy in the White House Forget about being compromised by the Chinese in the sense that they can blackmail him. They bought him a long time ago. They paid for him to the tune of billions of dollars. So one of the things I try to get across to people these days in talking about Afghanistan, Taiwan, all everything else you see, you can choose to say that what you are looking at is simply incompetence on a scale we have never seen before. That's kind of a strange use of verbiage to call gross incompetence, like diminish the significance of that. But you can you can choose to view that Joe Biden just happens to be working contrary to the interests of the United States because he and his entire administration are that incompetent. Or I would suggest you can take a few moments and consider another alternative, which is the fact is that Joe is not playing for our team. That the Chinese did not just happen to end up in possession of the largest lithium deposits on the planet. The Chinese did not just happen to gain control completely intact of the largest US military base in Afghanistan on down the list, but maybe these things are, are are being done deliberately. Let's let's keep in mind that when Joe was vice president, Barack Obama 
put him in charge of checking Chinese expansionism in East Asia, and specifically stopping the militarization of the South China Sea, one of the most strategic waterways of the planet, because something like one third of the world's shipping trans transits this one part of the Pacific Ocean. The Chinese went in and built a whole bunch of artificial islands, built airstrips, brought in missiles, troops, and basically seized a big chunk of the Pacific Ocean and put themselves in a position to cut off all of that trade, which would include all the oil to Japan, all the oil to Taiwan, et cetera. You can see the strategic impact. Joe's job was to stop that. So Joe flew to Beijing. He took Hunter on the plane. In 2013, he landed. He went to meetings with the Chinese. Hunter went off to a meeting with the Chinese State Bank. Chinese State Bank gave him what ultimately turned out to be $1.5 billion. Hunter got back on the plane. Joe got back on the plane. They flew home. And Joe never did anything to stop the Chinese. They went on and seized control of the entire South China Sea. So if you allow yourself to consider that possibility, then I think what you are looking at right now is something truly terrifying, especially since we are only eight months, nine months into this presidency. And theoretically, we got three more years of Joe being able to continue to do this kind of damage. That particular story, I was actually going to go to that story. I'm glad you brought it up about the South China Sea. And, you know, it really causes people, because at the time this occurred, uh, Biden was vice president under Obama, who was also very far more friendly to leftism, to communism, to socialism than any past president in American history. And this occurred under Obama where, you know, if, you, if you're President Obama and you mean business and you're going to crack down the communists and you're going to prevent them from expanding their power in that part of the world, uh, you would, you know, you wouldn't put Joe in charge. Or if Joe came home and said, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, I, um, turns out we can't do a thing about it. They've now taken control of the South China Sea. They're moving out in the Pacific. I mean, this was permitted at the very least by the Obama administration and not challenged again. Um, and it is it ties into my broader thought about leftism in America today, Obama and Biden, which is they did not have the profound clarity that is needed, especially needed today, by people who understand the unique greatness of America, the foundation of freedom, individual rights uh, from God because you were born, as spelled out in the Declaration. The whole concept of America's unique greatness and the reason for its greatness this was all rejected by the Obama and Biden team. So to them, you know, okay, so some other country, and, and you, at the very least, you didn't care that much if they were getting, they were expanding China's power in that part of the world. And maybe you even thought it was okay, because after all, you know, you're not, America's too powerful, shouldn't really be the one superpower. We got to, you know, share power with the communist Chinese. I don't know if you share those thoughts or you think that's taking it too far, but Obama didn't do a thing about it after Biden came home and basically said, I gave them, I, I didn't even protest. And yeah, they actually have in control of the South China Sea. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I think all everything you just said is completely accurate. I mean, just to go back over this 2013 trip, I mean, because, you know, most people have better things to do than follow the travel itinerary of, of Hunter and Joe. But let's just make sure we're crystal clear here. None of these facts are in dispute. This is not Sam Faddis's pet theory, nor did I pull it off of some internet chat room filled with people in tinfoil hats. All these things are documented. <laughs> Air Force Two, US Air Force aircraft carrying the vice president flew into Beijing. On board were Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. They came down the same stairs. 
Joe went off to meetings with the Chinese. Hunter went off to meetings with the Chinese. The amount of money that was given to Hunter, the all of, all of this is all documented. It's open. It's admitted. Joe right. Biden and Hunter have never refuted any of this. So now think about the context. Going back to you talking about the Obama White House. You're Barack Obama. Your vice president's flying off to these critical meetings with the Chinese, which are really supposed to be focused on stopping them from militarizing the South China Sea and breaking international law and, and threatening our allies and threatening the whole balance of power on the planet. That's why the vice president's flying to Beijing. But he takes along his son, who goes off to collect $1.5 billion from the State Bank of China in meetings that are occurring while you're theoretically dropping the hammer on the Chinese. And then you fly home. Now, at a minimum, if you're a rational person and you're acting in good faith, you would think as the president, you'd be furious. Be like, look, Joe, whatever's really going on, this reeks to high heaven. What do you think the appearance of this is? You're negotiating with the Chinese on our behalf, but you're flying in your son on an official plane to pick up $1.5 billion from the guys that theoretically we're getting tough with? That if... <laughs> Imagine, I mean, sometimes I think the imagine if it was Trump analogies are overdone. But good Lord, imagine if this was Donald Trump and one of his sons we were talking about flying into some foreign country, negotiating with somebody. And meanwhile, Eric Trump is picking up $1.5 billion and skipping back onto the plane. I mean, we'd have articles of impeachment filed in about 30 seconds, right? I mean, this is unbelievably egregious. And by the way, I should add that Joe has never, nor has Hunter, even bothered to attempt to explain why why this was done. It's more of this sort of, if you make the accusation, there's something wrong with you kind of kind of thing. Anyway, this, you know, that, so I mean, yes, Barack knew all this happened. It happened in broad daylight. He never lifted a finger to do anything about it. It is truly a remarkable story. It's actually also a commentary on the quality or lack thereof of America's media. Because you have, as you were alluding to President Trump, he could barely, you know, if his socks didn't match, it was national headline. And this story is, I mean, of international consequence for decades. It is directly reflective of their commitment to protecting America or not protecting America. And yet the media not only didn't cover it, they buried it. As you alluded to earlier, they buried the whole Biden, Hunter Biden laptop until it was too late. I want to one more thing, uh, a topic about China today in America. I'm glad you raised early on this interview this whole notion about what China now has access to uh, in Afghanistan, which is lithium, uh, which there are not deposits everywhere. Uh, South, Amer South America, I think, had the um, South Africa had the largest wherever it was, South America, South Africa had one set of deposits, but there's a large deposit of these uh, rare earth minerals, including lithium, in Afghanistan, which we are going to need in America if we're really going to make this transition to, uh, to uh, non-fossil fuel uh, cars and other changes that they're going to be forcing. It is the most, it, it, this is a dot connecting exercise that should not elude anyone, but honest to goodness, I don't, you see very few people 
pointing this out. And you actually see people excusing the Biden administration and, and encouraging them because, after all, they've made fossil fuels into this nefarious substance that must be ended before you must be stopped immediately before life on Earth ends. And yet, the, what the Chinese are going to be able to do in holding America hostage is simply breathtaking. I don't want to add anything else on that point. Then I want to hit one more topic. But anything else on that point about the lithium supply? Uh, well, no. I mean, lithium, of course, is only one of the minerals we're talking about. They also have huge uranium deposits in Afghanistan, and the Iranians already have teams on the ground inspecting those and figuring out how to mine those. So the Iranians are probably weeks if they want to be away from having a functioning nuclear weapon. Oh. And uh, the more uranium they have, the more weapons they can add to that stockpile. So it's just another another disaster as a consequence of Joe's decisions. Uh, emboldening our enemies and, and actually aiding and abetting our enemies. Okay, I want to turn, though, to China right now um, in America. There have been, there was under the Trump administration, an effort to expose the Confucius Institutes at college campuses and basically to say, look, you know, this might have seemed like it was just a friendly little operation. College campuses will have a Confucius Institute to invite uh, Chinese scholars and officials, and it was viewed as kind of, isn't this lovely? We're understanding our cultures better, our cultural exchange, blah, blah, blah. And soon, on, on the Trump administration and some colleges on their own recognize this is simply a vehicle for the Chinese Communist Party to spread communism. It is a, it's a vehicle to spy on America and a, and a vehicle to spread communist ideology. Has the Biden administration been backing off from that? Have they been more uh, willing to facilitate Chinese communist presence in America? Yeah, absolutely, predictably enough. I mean, look, the Chinese have an entire, an entire effort that is referred to as the United Front. In fact, there's a United Front department. And what the United Front is, speaking very, very briskly, and, and Gordon Chang would be the guy who you alluded to earlier, who would give you chapter and verse and all this. The number one mission of the United Front is to impact the perception of China abroad and to co-opt the elites, meaning to take the folks who are really the, the power brokers or the power brokers of the future, the folks who make the decisions in a country and bend them to the will of the Chinese so, when, so they then make decisions favorable to China. So in addition to stealing secrets and all this other stuff that they do very effectively, they mess with people's heads, feed them propaganda, and get them to then think in ways they want them to think and therefore make decisions favorable to Beijing. Very deliberate and it's an old school Chinese, not just Chinese thing, communist thing that's been around, you know, since since the birth of communism, since, since the first communist state, communist Russia. So the Confucius Institutes on college campuses are, are part and parcel of that, a big piece of that. And the Trump administration was pushing back, shutting them down and basically uh, making dramatic efforts to diminish the capacity of the Chinese to brainwash our students and faculty. All of that's being rolled back, just like our efforts to drive out Chinese spies and limit their espionage in the United States is all being shut down piece by piece. Prosecutions are being dropped. Uh, the whole China initiative, which is DOJ's effort to, to catch Chinese spies is being chipped away at. So we will be right back to where we were before Donald Trump took office in 2016 in, in no time. And you'll have Chinese spies running amok everywhere again, which I guess is part of which is the plan as far as I can tell. 
It seems uh, as though it's the plan. I love your reference, Cheryl. You uh, briefly mentioned Laura Logan. She has been making this point on, on many topics, which is what's happening under the Biden administration. You observe it, and whether it has to do with the border, whether it has to do with Afghanistan, that this administration has the power to do something different. They actually have the power to close the border. So the fact that they won't close the border, that it's basically wide open, is an intentional policy choice. Same with Afghanistan, same with the way we're treating Chinese communist spies in America. These are not incompetence, sloppiness, failure to pay attention to detail. These are intentional policy choices. One last quick thing. What do you think about our friend, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart, Stuart Scheller? He uh, made the video, which I played in this show, probably everybody played, you know, talking about his concerns about Afghanistan uh, and, and the way America withdrew and the failure of the high leadership of the military to take responsibility. He's now uh, facing court-martial and in, in the brig. Uh, do you think that he should be, what do you think should happen there? Well, I think at a minimum, they should have accepted his letter of resignation and walk, in, walk out the door when he proffered it. I don't understand the motivation. At, at a minimum, I don't understand the motivation for keeping the guy around purely to discipline him. He said he, he wanted to walk. Now, I'm not suggesting that I think that would have been the most just result, but at a minimum, you would think that's the course of least resistance. They've gone out of their way to hold this guy in active duty and persecute him and make him some sort of example. I should add, by the way, at the same time that General Milley openly talks about how he told the communist Chinese that if we decided to launch an attack on them, he would warn them in advance of the attack, which I think is a pretty clear admission to treason and espionage and a whole bunch of other articles under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. As you say, I was a former JAG officer before I was ever in CIA. If I were Scheller's attorneys, what I would do was I would, I would say, here's my defense. It is not against the law to disobey unlawful commands. It is not against the law to speak out against people who are committing treason. If my superiors and my president are acting hostile to the interests of the United States and to the benefit of a foreign power, and I refuse to cooperate with them, and I refuse to cover for them, I have violated no article under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. All I've done is actually fulfill my oath as an officer of the, uh, in, the, in the United States Marine Corps. So if you wanna have this trial, this trial is gonna be about Joe Biden, how much money he took from the communist Chinese, why he made the decisions in Afghanistan he did, and we'll bring the, the whole Joint Chiefs into this as well. Are you or are you not acting at, to the benefit of hostile forces and contrary to our interests? And if you are, and I oppose you, then I probably should get promoted, not court-martialed. Sam Faddis, it's always wonderful to talk with you. In fact, the last point you're making, I had that thought as a former litigation attorney. I'm not sure the Biden administration and Milley and a bunch of people at the high levels actually want this trial to happen. I'm not sure it's wise for them to want it to happen. If they think they're going to curtail the topics that are permitted in, uh, to, uh, to be uh, testified about in the trial. Maybe that's what they're thinking. But it's very unwise for them to think they're going to put him on trial and, and not expect him to present the facts that, that we've all been talking about here today. So Sam Faddis, it was great to talk with you. Thank you for your wonderful work writing at And Magazine online and for this great interview and for all you're doing on behalf of America. Thank you.
Great to see you, sir. Okay, folks, I'm going to do one more quick topic today, um, and that is, um, I call it a free trillion dollar spending. And I just want to mention, a, this. I know we talked about the other day how uh, he who occupies uh, the office at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue had said, you know, that his $3.5 trillion spending bill was actually going to cost zero. I sent to Derek a tweet. Uh, this was actually a tweet by the Biden administration. So you can see it yourself. This is clip one. And so this is when he, you see Build Back Better Agenda. This is the $3.5 trillion spending spree that the uh, Democrats have proposed. He's saying my Build Back Better Agenda costs $0. And you see at the bottom, it adds $0 to the national debt. So somehow $3.5 trillion costs zero to, to spend and it adds zero to the debt. And he goes on to say, he's explaining the middle sentence there, he's going to you know, crack down on tax breaks and loopholes and tax evasion. And folks, I'm telling you, there are not enough loopholes, uh, tax evaders, or any other types of actual illegal activity that will come close to coming up with $3.5 trillion. He also has been making comments about making the rich pay their fair share. So I also sent to Derek uh, a little just quick slide. This is from the Heritage Foundation. Take a screenshot of this. You can get this from Heritage. You can get this from numerous other organizations in Washington that pay attention to who pays taxes. Very, very obviously, the top line with the colored line, the shareable income earned, like, you know, the top 1% basically pay to the far right of that top line in the darkest blue. The people who are top 1% earners pay essentially 21% of their income to the government. You look at the bottom, it's share of all the income taxes paid, meaning all the money that, money that the federal government collects, you know, who pays it. 40% comes from the top oh, 5%. So getting the notion that the, the rich have to pay their fair share is another farcical myth that the left plays on because they think people aren't smart enough to recognize uh, what they're talking about. And, and th this notion that you can spend $3.5 trillion, it is a fantasy notion, but you have to understand, the reason Biden floats those ideas and, and you had it repeated by Chuck Schumer, you had it repeated by Nancy Pelosi, repeated by other you know, high-level experts, is because they think the American people are stupid enough to believe that. This is, they are telling you when they say those things what they think about you. They think you're stupid. They think you actually think somehow all this hidden money is out there, we can spend $3.5 trillion and, and it'll be like free. It'll just, it, nothing will ever be, there won't be any consequence. It's going to materialize out of correcting tax loopholes and cracking down the rich, who, as you can see, are already paying far more than their fair share. Well, now Biden is in negotiations with the progressive leaders in Washington. And I hate the word progressive because it might imply you think that leftists are, are creating progress in America. Leftists are not creating progress in America. They are all about the destruction of America. We're watching the destruction of America as founded before our very eyes in the hands of leftists. But even some of those elected Democrats in Washington are realizing, you know what? Actually, this isn't going to fly. If you could, Derek, put that, that uh, thing up again that shows that the amount of people who pay taxes, uh, that, that just leave that up there for one second, please. I want to make the point that you know, in terms of who votes and who is informed and who understands things, the people in Washington who have to vote on this bill, they understand that the people who donate to their campaigns, the people who actually make their campaigns possible, the corporations that have to donate, they understand that the taxpayers pretty much have the money 
to participate in campaigns. They are not going, now you can take it back off again, but the people in Washington, the elected officials are not going to pass a bill that essentially pummels, hammers the people who have the most money who support the payment of, of that pay for all their campaigns, they're the lobbyists. They're not going to do that to them. So now Biden is in negotiations with the crazies, with the uh, Democrat socialists, the squad and others on Capitol Hill saying, you know, we really, America's not flying with the 3.5 trillion thing. This, to be really clear, is on top of, in addition to the 1.5 trillion, not really infrastructure bill, they called it infrastructure, it's just another spending spree, small portion for infrastructure, most for, you know, leftist fantasy spending. And then they want the 3.5 trillion one. And Biden is saying, hey, you know what, we're, we're, I don't know we can do this here. Biden's administration is in trouble. They're in trouble. The American people are watching in the first eight months the debacle, death, devastation in Afghanistan compounded with, as you're just hearing from Sam Faddis and others talking and writing about this, compounded with the fact we have armed our worst enemies. Biden's administration is not going well because plenty of Americans are wide awake. They see what happened in Afghanistan. They see we left planes, equipment, everything for them. The border is a joke. The border is a disaster, and, and everyone can see, despite that Biden said, I don't know when it was, a few weeks ago, you know, yeah, the border's secure, nearly all secure, and, and it's a joke. I mean, the border's wide open. They have the estimate now, a surge just in the month of October in the range of 400,000 more illegals, nearly half a million people pouring over the border, and the millions, Americans can see that the Biden administration is a, a, a disaster of, of monumental proportions. So now Biden's trying to salvage his presidency by saying, well, 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 hey, hold on there, progressives. Can't really go this crazy spending spree. But I want to hit two more things. I don't know how that's going to come up. But I want to hit two more points about this before we wrap up. One is I want to make the point that in America, you have a, you know, we are allegedly a free market, you know, a capitalist country. We're a capitalist country. And even though the Democrats have people who are socialists in Congress. You have in the Senate, of course, the famous Bernie Sanders. You have in the House side, you have new, uh, four acknowledged members who are more or less Democrat socialists, many others leaning that way. But the simple fact is America did not vote in 2020 for our country to become socialist. They did not. They did not vote because, because they want for, even if you think that Biden won fair and square, uh, they did not vote for the country to become Marxist. Biden ran on a very, hey, I'm kind of your loopy Uncle Joe, you know, I'm kind of out of it mentally, but, you know, I sniff hair and I do stupid things, but, you know, I'm kind of a harmless, you know, grandfather figure. No, I, he's not the strident Marxist that the left tried to run in the, in the form of uh, Bernie Sanders or uh, Senator Hiawatha from Massachusetts. Uh, you didn't have, none of the strident Marxists won. But what Americans are now watching is that what Biden is putting in place is actually the Marxist agenda. It is the destruction of America. The spending bill is a good example. The Democrats don't call this a 3.5 trillion Marxist bill. They call it the 3.5 Build Back America Better. But everyone paying attention understands just because they don't call it Marxist doesn't mean it isn't Marxist. When you are doing massive intentional transfers of wealth from the private sector out of the hands of the people who earned it and the businesses who earned it and grabbing that money from them by force, by tax law, plopping into the federal government pile of money, 
you are enabling, you are building a Marxist economy. You're building an economy where the government controls the wealth, the government makes the rules, the government controls more and more of life. This is Marxism happening before your eyes. Compound that with, if you uh, have paid any attention very recently, in the country of Venezuela, in South America, beautiful, you know, Venezuela was in 1999 and the years preceding that, one of the most beautiful, advanced, free, prosperous countries in South America. It was often viewed as a competitor to America in terms of having freedom, opportunity, free markets. It was, a, it was going, swimming along beautifully. However, in 1999 in Venezuela, uh, they had first the election of Hugo Chavez, then followed later by the election of Nicolas Maduro. Two flat-out communists who took over the country of Venezuela and did exactly the same kind of policies, exactly the same kind of policies that the Biden administration is doing today. Massive, massive, massive taxation, transfers of wealth from the private sector to the government, government control taken over health care, over education, over just in, and also government attack on the uh, the uh, production of private production of the oil companies producing producing energy. The Biden administration is doing exactly what the, the Venezuelan communist regime did, and it led them to now where we are in America today or in the world today in 2021, in the country of Venezuela. 77% of Venezuelans, 77% of Venezuelans live in extreme poverty. America, Americans are waking up and recognizing Biden and the Democrats, the Marxists who now run the Democrat Party are leading America right down the, the tubes, right over the cliff into communism, just as, as happened in Venezuela. And then you have the Venezuelans in extreme poverty, many Venezuelans escaping to America, trying to say to America, don't do this to yourselves. Don't believe them when they promise you free health care and free education and free housing and free food. And they promise you to give you the money that they're going to take away from the rich people. Understand, it's all a joke. It's a ploy. It's a lie. This is what Venezuelans are saying in our country today. This is what alert Americans are realizing about the Biden administration. One more fact, and I'll get to my, uh, why it matters to you. So Jen Psaki, who is the White House spokesperson, she actually said, she, so, so people are pointing out, you know, you're going to raise taxes on the rich and you're going to raise taxes on corporations. So someone asked her in a, you know, very basic economics 101 question in a, I assume it was a press conference saying to her, well, you know, uh, Jen Psaki, a spokesman for uh, President Biden, the president's commitment remains on not raising taxes allegedly for a certain small class of people, uh, people earning less than 400000 and And basically saying, you know, what happens is when you raise taxes on businesses, they raise the price of the things they produce. If you force them to pay people more money, so it costs them more money to run their business, then they raise the prices of what they produce. This is Economics 101. This is maybe Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez missed this class in her economics major in Boston, but the whole concept of you can continue to tax the private sector, raise their taxes, raise taxes on the rich and the corporations, and there'd be no other economic impact. Somehow you'll raise it, you'll, you'll push your big arms out and sweep that money into Washington, and nothing else will change. 
And so someone asked her, Saki, you know, well, actually, don't you do, do recognize that if you raise taxes on corporations, they're going to raise the taxes on the people who then have to pay more money to buy the products and services they need, so you're really not accomplishing anything. Her answer was, there are some, and I'm not sure if it's, in this, if it's the case in this report, some argue that in the past, companies have passed on these costs these taxes, these costs, to consumers. I'm not sure if that's the argument being made in this report. We feel that that's unfair and absurd and that the American people would not stand for that. Okay, please listen to me, and I'm going to wrap up and go to my why it matters to you. This is kindergarten-level economics understanding. Kindergarten. She's saying she, that, that it's absurd and unfair that businesses being taxed to death would raise prices on their goods and services to pay for those additional costs. I mean, this is, it's economics 101, and I actually can't figure out with her if she is that stupid and has no idea, or if she's part of the whole, we'll dupe the people now, we'll promise them everything can be free, don't worry. $3.5 trillion um, of spending can, can cost zero. Um, just see, see, President Biden just said that it'll cost zero. And you can raise taxes and nothing else will happen. No economic ripple effects will occur. Will occur. This is absurd. This is embarrassing level stupidity. But this is the kind of messaging coming out of Washington. So I'm telling you, in closing up for today, this I don't know if, first of all, I don't think Biden knows much of anything. I don't think he's mentally sentient, and I'm sorry that he isn't. So whoever's really running policy there, I don't know if they actually recognize that the kind of spending they're talking about, the kind of tax collection and spending and government programs and, and cultivating dependency on the government is, is not just on the way to Marxism and socialism, it is implementing socialism without calling it that. I don't know if they know that, and they just want to dupe the American people into going along because they've had this Marxist agenda forever anyway, or if they, if they really don't know. If we actually elected a leadership in Washington that actually believes it's fantasy economics where somehow you can raise taxes on businesses and individuals who are already paying most of the taxes and nothing else will happen and everything will be free. Fantasy land economics. Either way, this is a fool's errand, a foolish idea. And the American people, you guys are always telling me, you email me and you put comments. Tell us what to do. Get on the horn. Call your congressman. Call your senator. Call everyone who represents you. Call your neighbors, the next state over senators. Call them and say, don't you dare sign on to this bill. We don't want anything to do with it. We don't even want the $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. That's enough. Cut off this crazy spending. Raise your voices. Let the people in Washington know that Americans are, are aware of what they're doing. We don't want it. We won't put up with it. The American people better be standing up now because, as you see by the conduct of the DOJ and the uh, Washington, the FBI and the DOJ, cracking down on parents who dare to go, back to my getting my show, dare to go to school board meetings to say, you know, we actually don't want you teaching our kids to hate each other based on their race, which is all those parents are saying about critical race theory. And now they're going to be investigated by the FBI. This is their, re their reaction of this kind of government, this very totalitarian-minded government. You can't 
challenge anything. You can't challenge indoctrination of your children. You can't challenge school boards. On this spending also, this kind of thing, now is the time to make your voices heard. Be, be outspoken, post every place you are. If you're on social media, post, protest, write, call. Be part of the protest that tells the, the government in Washington and, and reinforces the voices of Americans around this country. We're not putting up with this Marxist takeover of America. We're going to fight for America. I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started FBI targeting parents. Simply unbelievable. National School Board Association President pens a letter complaining about parents opposing COVID policies and critical race theory and claims critical race theory is a college topic, not even taught in K through 12. I mean, flat out lie. Attorney General Garland responds with instructions to the FBI to investigate American school board meetings for threats of violence. Threats of violence against school boards would be wrong and out of line, but there's very little evidence of such behavior. This is about leftist weaponization of law enforcement to intimidate and silence critics. American parents don't want their children taught, one, to hate America, or two, to hate others because of the color of their skin. And they are right to feel that way. Parents discovered CRT is being taught in K-12 just in semantically disguised form of all Biden agenda roiling America. Some say this one may be the final straw, the potential sicking of the FBI on parents who prefer Martin Luther King to critical race theory. This is truly offensive. And on free trillion dollar spending bills, the radical leftist playbook is the same everywhere. You're not responsible for your lot in life. Just tax the rich and everyone can have everything and can be free. Engineer massive wealth redistribution away from producers to the dependents and the dependents will vote to assure the re-election of those giving them free money. And fix the elections via rigged voting machines to make sure of re-election. Venezuela was the most prosperous country in South America. Enter Chavez and Maduro with the socialist playbook. In 2021, 77% of Venezuelans live in extreme poverty. That's right, 77%. Biden's $3.5 trillion spending that he says will cost zero and increase the national debt by zero because it will be paid for by new taxes on the rich is pure radical leftist demagoguery, or we could just call it hogwash. Americans must rise and demand Congress reject this leftist nonsense and fiscal insanity. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can